It's quite difficult to make sense of the whole scene that just played out in that reading. Uh, Eight days later, Jesus goes up onto a mountain to pray. The disciples fall asleep. Jesus' face is altered and his clothes dazzle. And he has a conversation with some long dead men. The disciples wake up. Peter thinks that they should build some makeshift shelters. He literally does not know what he's saying, we're told. Uh, And they're the only words that he could find that would come out of his mouth in the moment. Uh, The voice comes from the cloud in heaven. And we're just left thinking to ourselves, what just happened? Luke links the story of the transfiguration to everything that has come before it and to everything that comes after it in the story and the events that he is relaying. This section of Luke's gospel opened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry at his baptism in chapter 3. And when all the people who were being baptized were, Jesus was baptized also. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. This story in chapter 9 really is the hinge on which the whole gospel turns. For after this, Jesus will set his face towards Jerusalem and the cross and his death. But we pop into the story about eight days after Jesus had said these things. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is, uh, what did Jesus say eight days earlier? Eight days earlier, back in chapter 9, verse 21, uh, Jesus said that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus had just said that if anyone should follow him, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The question that we're left asking is, by what authority does Jesus seek our allegiance and place this demand upon our lives? Why should I stop living for myself, remove the crown from my own head, and submit to the authority of Jesus? In an age where individual autonomy to live my life however I see fit is almost considered a fundamental human right... Why should I surrender my life to Jesus? This story, as Luke records it for us, is Luke pursuing his aim to give us confidence. uh, Confidence about the things that took place. And my hope today is that you are challenged afresh to yield rule to Jesus in your life on a daily basis. That you will leave with real confidence that you are doing the right thing. That if you're someone who's considering following Jesus for the first time, that you will be given a confidence that you are making the right choice to turn and follow him. And if you are someone who has become all too familiar with Jesus, that God's word would wake you up from your slumber, that it would shake you from your stupor, and that you would listen to Jesus once more. So, why should I listen to Jesus Well, firstly, 1,200 years of public testimony gives us reason to submit to Jesus. Uh, This story is filled with Easter eggs. I don't mean the chocolate variety or the painted boiled eggs. A different variety of Easter eggs. 
My boys and I recently finished watching the book of Boba Fett. Star Wars, for those of you who are unfamiliar. And it was brilliant in and of itself. But my favorite part each week was not actually watching the episode. It was watching the YouTube videos that would come out subsequently, pointing out all the Easter eggs in the show that I had missed and that I'd failed to see and that added extra meaning and extra layers to the story that was being told. Each detail in this account serves to demonstrate who Jesus is, both his identity and his credentials. So look with me, if you would, at verse 29. His appearance uh, as he was praying was altered. His clothing becomes dazzling white. This is a direct reference to the Son of Man that Jesus had just claimed to be. Uh, In the book of Daniel, in Revelation, twice in the book of Ezekiel, we're given descriptions of the Son of Man in his heavenly glory. He is a divine figure given absolute, universal, and everlasting rule who appears in dazzling brightness as a superhuman figure. Listen to the words from Daniel chapter 10 and verse 6. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. As Jesus goes up on the mountain eight days after his claim to be the Son of Man, his clothing and his face take on the appearance of the promised Son of Man in the Old Testament. Uh, The glory that is intrinsic to him as the divine son is revealed as a taste of things to come when he will return and we will see him as he truly is, the glorified son of God. But notice secondly, his friends, the company that he kept. Uh, There alongside him, we're told, were Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory talking with Jesus. Uh, These two are the unequaled spokesmen of the Old Testament, both of whom anticipate and interpret the life of Jesus. Moses is the one whom the whole law, the first five books of the Bible, were given. Uh, The law exposes our sins. It exposes God's righteousness. It exposes our failure. It it provides the means by which our sins can be forgiven through the sacrifice. The law and the prophets are fulfilled in Jesus. And now Moses appears alongside Jesus and speaks with him. Elijah, the great and mighty prophet of God in the Old Testament, who summoned the people of God to return to God, and who Malachi 4 tells us must appear again before the coming of God's mighty king, he's also there. Uh, Both of these men represent the law and the prophets. Both of these men offered significant and unique sacrifices in God's salvation history. It was through Moses that the Passover was inaugurated. It was Elijah who called down fire from heaven so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And now these two men, unequaled in all of the Old Testament, representing all the law and the prophets, stand alongside speaking with Jesus. Now look verse 31 at what they spoke about. They spoke about his departure. 
Uh, now that word departure, you might have a footnote in your Bible. The word departure is the word exodus. And the word exodus is heavily, heavily loaded in the Bible. It could just mean Jesus' death and resurrection. However, the exodus in the story of God's salvation of his people is the foundational event in the whole of the life of God's people through which God rescued and brought them to the glory of his promised land. And so when we look and read this sentence again, that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke of Jesus' exodus, of what it was that he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem, uh, we see that they don't talk about themselves, they talk about him. Because he is the long-promised king, savior, messiah of God who would bring about God's promised new creation and his kingdom. And by implication, because the whole Old Testament is about a new exodus to God's new creation, it is about our exodus as well. So I hope you can begin to see the significance of what's going on here. I hope you see that if we fail to grasp who Jesus is, we will be reluctant to yield to him. Jesus comes demanding that we deny self, take up our cross and follow him. We consider it almost a fundamental human right that we have control over our life. And so we dislike very much the idea that we're called to submit to him. And yet at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah and all of these little Easter eggs signal to us the reader to look. This is what the whole of the last two millennia have been about. You can trust Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He is the culmination of centuries of God's plans and purposes. He is the one to whom the great heroes of old, all of God's revelation points. And his death and resurrection will be the climax of all of God's plans and purposes. Uh, we move on to a second area of evidence that we're given in the short statement made by God in verses 33 to 35. As the men were parting from him, Peter says these words, Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three makeshift shelters. We'll put you in one, Moses in the other, and Elijah in the other, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud descends. Moses and Elijah have moved off. Jesus is standing there alone. They were greatly afraid, that is the disciples, as they entered the cloud. And a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now, like all good sermons, there are three points. This is my son, one, my chosen one, two, listen to him, three. Uh, this is God actually quoting himself in every single instance. This is my son is a reference back to Psalm chapter two, where the Lord says, he said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. That is God announcing that he will set up an everlasting rule through his everlasting ruler. And here is the voice from heaven confirming the absolute rule of Jesus. The second point, God quotes himself from Isaiah 42. My chosen one is the title God gives to his rescuing servant who comes to usher in God's new creation. Psalm 42 and verse 1, 
Behold my servants whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Behold my servant, my chosen one. And finally, listen to him. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15 where we are told that God will send another prophet like Moses to lead his people and it is to him you shall listen. See, brothers and sisters, the greater the claim to authority, the greater the cost of allegiance, the greater the requirements for credibility. Jesus Christ comes claiming absolute, everlasting, universal rule. Uh, the nature of his dominion and glory is in totality. The duration of his rule as the son of man is everlasting. The extent of his rule is universal for he will govern people from all tribes and languages and nations. And Jesus comes to you and to I commanding us to relinquish our own self-rule, to deny self, to take up our cross daily and to follow him. He demands our submission and our surrender. Later in Peter's life, he would give his own testimony to these events. They didn't speak about them. They kept silent, verse 36, in those days. But later Peter would write a letter to Peter chapter one. It was what was read for us this morning. And in that... Peter tells us that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He says, we received, we were there when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice. And what does Peter say to us? to those whom he passes this message on to, you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, until the morning star rises in your heart, until the coming and the return of Jesus. That's the reference that he's making. You will do well to pay attention. Come back with me if you would to these last three words of the sentence in verse 35. Listen to him. Those words actually come as something of a surprise and shock. You see, in just the previous section, 18 to 26 of chapter 9, Jesus had told us, his disciples, that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so we would expect that that language that he uses, the language of following, would be the language that God would use. This is my son, my chosen one, follow him. But he doesn't say that. He says, listen to him. And that is one of the keys to Luke's gospel, if you've been following it since the beginning. The key to following Jesus 
is listening to Jesus, hearing his word and acting on it. And so as we end not only this series, but our time today, let me ask you, do you believe that Jesus is God's son? You're probably gonna tick that one. Do you believe that Jesus is God's chosen one? I think many of us will tick that one. Will you listen to him? Do you listen to him on a daily basis? Are you listening to him and acting on it? Listen to these words from the opening of Hebrews chapter one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these lost days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, make your word our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.